Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? Giggling like a bunch of young bros in a schoolyard. Well, let me tell a joke. Five guys sitting at a bullpen, San Quentin, wondering how the fuck they got there. What we do wrong? What should have we done? What didn't we do? Whatever. It's your fault, my fault, his fault. All that bullshit. Finally, someone comes up with the idea. Wait a minute. While we were planning this caper, all we did was sit around and tell fucking jokes. Got the message? Fellas, I don't mean to holler at you. This caper's over, and I'm sure it's going to be a successful one. Hell, we'll get down to Hawaiian Islands. I'll roll and laugh with all of you. Find me a different character down here. Right now, it's a matter of business. With the exception of Eddie and myself, we already know, we're going to be using aliases on this job. Under no circumstances do I want any one of you to relate to each other by your Christian names. And I don't want any talk about yourself personally. That includes where you've been, your wife's name, well, you might have done time for a bank, maybe, arrived in St. Petersburg. All I want you guys to talk about, if you have to, is what you're going to do. That should do it. Hear your names. Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, and Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a faggot, all right? <laughs> Why can't we pick our own colors? No way, no way. Try it once, it doesn't work. You get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. Yeah, yeah but Mr. Brown, that's a little too close to Mr. Shit. Well, Mr. Pink sounds like Mr. Pussy. How about if I'm Mr. Purple? I mean, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll be Mr. Purple. You're not Mr. Purple. Some guy on some other job is Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Pink. Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. All right, look, if it's no big deal to be Mr. Pink, you want to trade? Hey, nobody's trading with anybody. This ain't a goddamn fucking city council meeting, you know. Now, listen up, Mr. Pink. There's two ways you can go on this job. My way or the highway. Now, what's it going to be, Mr. Pink? Jesus Christ, Joe. Fucking forget about it. It's beneath me, you know. I'm Mr. Pink. Let's move on. I'll move on when I feel like it. You always got the goddamn message? So goddamn mad how you guys can hardly talk. Let's go to work. This week on the podcast, call your parole officer, uh, turn on K Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s, and don't trust Mr. Orange. Uh, this week we're talking about Reservoir Dogs on 100 Movies I Love. 100 Movies You Love. That's right. And I'm Jason Martin. And I'm Paul Conlon. All right. And um, Reservoir Dogs uh, opening. Uh, you're in the diner with all the guys. Uh, they're all. You know, sitting around having breakfast, having coffee, uh, and talking about 
Madonna specifically talking about like a virgin. Yep. Uh, what what does like what does the song like a virgin mean? What does the song mean? And uh, several several different theories uh, among the people in the crowd. Um, talking about does it mean big dicks? Does it mean uh, what does it feel like for the first time? Um, Rekindling of true love. Yeah, yeah, and a lot. And you hear uh, you have uh, Lawrence Tierney there. Um, he's looking at his uh, little address books and Toby, Toby. Fong, Toby Chow, Toby, Toby, Toby in the background while they're talking about Madonna and Dix. Um, and uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, of course, directed the movie. Is the famous Mr. Brown. He's, he's saying it's all about this Coos, who's a regular fuck machine. The one day she meets this John Holmes motherfucker. And it's pain. She feels pain. Like, it's, like it was the first time. Hence, like a virgin. And you still have Lawrence, Lawrence Tierney, Toby, Toby Wong, Toby, <laughs> and Harvey Cuttell's looking at him the side of his eye, like, what the fuck? And uh, they're talking about K Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s, which is the radio station they've been listening to. With the sultry voice of Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen Wright, unmistakable. Uh, if you know who Stephen Wright is, there's no way in the world you don't know that Stephen Wright, for sure. And if you're old enough to know him, a great choice for him to be the DJ. Um, and uh, they're all talking about uh, you know they're talking about the, the night the lights went out in Georgia and uh, the meaning of the song and the ending and I didn't know if she was the shoot or whatever um, this I mean this is this isn't a movie that invented that kind of thing but as far as just a whatever pop culture conversation in the middle of a you know what's what what definitely could be a very serious movie at times it's just a and if you're seeing it for the first time this was what the first real directed movie by Quentin yeah Tarantino. it was the first you don't really know what to expect but you start with this you're like ah, oh, it's interesting although the stories coming out of con and other places where that people walked out of the movie because it was so gory oh yeah 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 and uh, apparently even Wes Craven <laughs> walked out of the movie I don't know. It's a compliment. I just I just couldn't take the realism of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. This this movie really uh, did a lot for uh, indie cinema. Um, It uh, it just it was one of those movies that you know at least people that knew you know had to see. But it wasn't a even though you know it made like no money in the theaters pretty much. Yeah, I think it was made for one point two million. Yeah. Two point eight million. It was. Yeah. Box office bomb, but it was made for it. Did, was profitable slightly, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course it uh, it took the name of Quentin Tarantino and put it right out in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. And the next movie he made blew up the world. What was that movie? I believe it was Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, yeah, Pulp Fiction. Few, that's few, right. This was ninety one. Pulp Fiction ninety five. Yeah, that's right. Ninety four. Ninety four. October ninety four. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pulp Fiction did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, they're still talking about, you know, they're still at the table and they're talking about, uh, you know, um, Carvey Cattell, Mr. White is talking about, you know, taking, he took away, well, takes his, uh, take Joe's, uh, his address book away. He's like, no, you'll get it back when you leave. You know, I'm not keeping it. And, uh, you know, Michael Madsen, Mr. Vaughn. Mr. Vaughn you says, want me to shoot him? Yeah. You want me to shoot him? And then, and then later on, you know, Joe says, I changed my mind. Shoot this piece of shit. And, you know, Mr. Blonde looks at him and pulls the finger guns at him. Um, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is a, when Steve Buscemi, Mr. Pink, is a, I don't believe in tipping. And yeah. uh, it's a good little conversation. No, I don't know if you noticed it, but then like the first time you see Mr. Pink, mm -hmm. he's looking at his empty coffee cup. And this is important when he's talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, I expect waitress to come by and fill my coffee up at least six times. If it's not six times, there's no way they're ever going to get a tip. I expect him to work for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And of course, the first time you see him, actually, performing him, he's like looking at his empty cup, which is mm -hmm. empty. No, he yeah. He came by like three times. He only filled my coffee cup up three times. Yeah. At least six times. Yeah. And he, he Mr. Pink says, um, this was girl was nice. She was nice. She wasn't anything special. And, uh, Chris Penn, um, nice guy, Eddie. Nice guy, Eddie. Says, uh, what's that? He's like, taking the back. No, Mr. Blonde. What's that? Taking the back, suck your dick. And then, and then nice guy, Eddie says, uh, I'd go over 12% for that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mr. Pink uh, does a little, uh, he's like, what's this? The world's smallest violin plan for just the waitresses. Yeah. It's like, they don't make enough. They can't, they can quit. You know, like, you know, basically like they expect me to help with the rent. They're in a big, big fucking surprise. Now, it's interesting that, uh, uh, Mr. Pink says that hey, they make minimum wage and no one corrects them on it. Because anyone who's ever worked in any kind of restaurant anywhere knows mm -hmm. there's not a waiter or waitress in the world mm -hmm. unless they work for an incredible loss mm -hmm. that makes more than two or three dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've frequented a few bars where they don't even make that. Yeah. It's all tips. Yes. Um, and that's kind of very cutthroat. Mm -hmm. um, so this was brought up. They're all kind of correcting Mr. Pink. We need to do it this way. But when he says, you know, they make minimum wage plus tip, blah, blah, and no one corrects them. Yeah. But they all should have known. They don't make minimum wage. They make two right, bucks right, an hour right. plus tips. And it's the tips that keep them alive. Because yes. if they only make that two or three dollars an hour, mm -hmm. no one can survive on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's great the way they, uh, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, he makes a good point about the, you know, people who make, or McDonald's don't, you know, yeah. you don't feel the need to tip them, which is a good point, actually. But, yeah, it's just. A, What's interesting, you know, I eat a, a variety of different places. If I eat as a, some kind of buffet or whatever. Right. Um, I might leave a couple of dollars on the table, but I'm not going to, like, leave 20% or 15% right, or something right. like that. It's just, you know, they refill my drink or whatever and yeah. clean up afterwards. And usually it's, you have a busboy that comes back to me, but not the person who brings me a drink or whatever. Yeah. But in a lot of places, it's all seltzer, the drink, the this, and that, all of it. So, yeah, I think it depends on the level of service mm -hmm. and how good it is and the food it is and the people, mm -hmm. you know, just so many different factors. Yeah. You know, from a fine dining experience at a high-end restaurant where uh, everything is taken care of and brought to you to Golden Corral, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, a, you know, it's a... You know, and uh, Mr. Orange, you know, right before they leave, is like, you convinced me. Give me my dollar back, you know. <laughs> but so finally, Mr. Pink gives in. He's like, well, since you paid for the bill. You, okay, know, you notice that uh, uh, Joe comes by. He's picking up the tip when he goes, hey, there's your dollar. Sure. Oops. Oops. <laughs> dollar, yeah. Your dollar short. Uh, uh, who didn't tip in? Mm -hmm. Who speaks up? Who says that it was Mr. Pink? Uh, I can't remember now. Mr. Orange. Mr. Orange. Mr. Oh, Orange. The rat. Rats out. The rat. Rats yeah. out, Mr. <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't think about that being part of the. Yeah, that's good. That's a good little bit, bit of foreshadowing. A little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, it is, actually. Um, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Orange speaks of Mr. Pink doesn't believe in tipping. Yeah. 
I don't give a goddamn what he, what he believes and doesn't believe in. I paid for it. You throw in a buck, you know. At that point, I think it's more Joe. And based on a later scene where they talk about, where Mr. Pink talks about whether or not he can be Mr. Pink or not, you understand right. why as soon as Joe speaks up, he goes, oh, I'll put it in the Yeah, well, true. It's true because it's uh, out of order. So, yeah, out yeah. of order. But later on, that scene comes back around and you realize why it is that uh, at that point when Joe speaks up, he says, oh, yeah, I'll put a dollar in. After Adam yeah. is talking about how he's not going to tip. Yeah. He doesn't tip. Joe speaks up. He goes, "Yeah, I'll put a dollar in." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, so this is when they're leaving the uh, leaving the diner, and uh, you hear Stephen Wright uh, being the DJ. Do you notice the uh, call sign? I can't remember the radio station. What you are supposed K Billy, right? Yeah, yeah. K Bill, Kill Bill. Oh, okay, okay. There are going to be a lot of references back and forth. Well, yeah, to all the movies and. That one were I didn't know. Were they intentional or were they accidental? Right. Um, this one might have been a little accidental. Probably. I think the K Billy, the Hillbilly right. part was what they wanted. Yeah. But uh, yeah. later on, when Uma Thurman came to him and said, Hey, I got this idea for a movie about the girl. And I think he might have said, I've already got K Bill out there. Maybe we can work mm-hmm. that in. Okay. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's good. I didn't think about that one. Um, the. Uh, and then you know the then you have the iconic credit scene. You know you have a little green bag by George Baker selection. Yeah, that song and them all walking down the street in slow motion and it's been parodied, parodied uh, what a thousand times. Parodied, homaged. Yes, and it's like constantly and uh, everything. And it's, it's a thirty-year-old scene. Yeah, nineteen ninety-one, twenty twenty now, thirty mm-hmm. years. Yeah, it's just constantly been you know been in there um and uh and then right after that iconic scene the music's gone and you see mr orange in the back seat of the car bleeding mr white driving trying to comfort him uh i like the way they transitioned it because they went faded to black they had some credits and before they came back to scene you could hear Mr. Orange in the back seat, mm-hmm. crying in pain, and you can hear Mr. White in the front seat telling everything's gonna be okay. And then mm-hmm. they pull into the scene in the car and the caddy. Yeah. You know, but the screen is black mm-hmm. with credits slowly yeah. finishing up. Right, right, right. As it as yeah. it goes from the once opening scene, iconic opening credits yeah. to this one. Right, right, and you know, and then, and you don't, you know, you don't at this point. As far as you know, the movie's in order. Yes. I mean, obviously they skipped something big, but it's in order right now, as far as you know. Yes. Because that would have definitely would have definitely came after that opening, uh, the diner scene. Um, but yeah, the um, but he's saying, uh, Mr. White's saying, repeat after me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Trying yeah, to comfort him. That was a little odd. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, it's like I didn't realize. Are you a doctor? I didn't, I, I didn't realize you were a doctor. Do you know? Um, do you know for sure? And then you hear uh, Mr. Orange calls him Larry, so you realize that he's given the name, uh, real name. Now you didn't know. You don't know the significance of that, right? At this point, you didn't know that that's that's not allowed, uh, really. But he calls him Larry, so that's that's a big uh, important point too. Um, and uh, and they're you know on, he basically tells them you know you're you know shot in the stomach which is 
really fucking painful. It takes a long time to die from it. And uh, it gets them to the warehouse uh, where they're laying down. Um, and then Mr. White is comforting Mr. Orange. Uh, he's comforting him. He's combing his hair. Asking him how, you know, how he looks. He's like, you know, you don't look good. And, you know. <laughs> and they've done something interesting here. Mm-hmm. Um, he puts them on the bottom of the ramp there. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that originally in the script, this was being like a mattress that would be soaked with blood. Yeah. But instead, they're on the bottom of this ramp. Yeah. And that allows all the blood to flow out of him and pool at the bottom of the ramp. So you could show huh. all yeah. that blood coming out of him without really, you know, showing it pouring out of him. You showed all pooled underneath Yeah. Him. And then later on, you saw all that blood below at the bottom of the ramp mm-hmm. um, without having to show, you know, the, the effects of blood pumping out of the body and stuff like that. You just see the pool. At the bottom yeah. Of the ramp. Okay. That, that that I was you know I was wondering if there was a purpose for it, but it makes sense. Well, you know, uh, they did a lot of this on a shoestring. It was uh, right uh, originally uh, Quentin Tarantino was going to finance it himself. He had his partner Lawrence Bender. Mm-hmm. They were going to do it. They were trying to figure out how to get all the the monies together. When Harvey Keitel got hold of the script, he said, "Look, I will help you finance this." Yes, and got the studio behind them. Yeah, and his name in there. Yeah, and then everything else fell in place. And Tarantino wanted to make sure this movie was basically very low budget so they would let him direct it yes because he definitely was going to direct it and the fact that it was very cheap you know allowed him to, allowed him to be able to do that he'd already uh did uh he uh, written a few things right right and yeah um, he had a bit of a name but right. he wanted to direct he had his vision right he wanted to put it out there so he must be his vision. yes yeah um and uh they have the uh they give, you know, like I said, they're at the uh, the warehouse, um, and uh, Mr. Orange is asking him, you know, just drop me at the hospital, you know, and I won't tell anything. I won't tell I anyone. Won't you know, of course, we don't know at the time. Mr. Orange isn't going to jail. Yeah, yeah, he's going. He's not going to jail, so he's not risking anything. He definitely wants to go to the hospital because he's a cop and he's not. He's he's good. You know, <laughs> they get him to the hospital. Uh, he's not going to jail, so. Um, he, he reassures him, you know, he's shot in the gut. It takes a long time to die from it. Um, and uh, this is where Mr. Pink enters. Um, and uh, Mr. Pink, um, Steve Buscemi's character, um, you know, he says, where's Brown? And uh, Mr. White says, dead. Cop shot him. Um, Are you and, sure? Yeah. And uh, Mr. Pink, you know, says, uh, do you think we're we're?" Well, Mr. White said, I think Mr. White says, do you think we're set up? And Mr. Pink is sure of it. He's like, I didn't hear any sirens. Like, they were there. You know? Women, they weren't. The next minute, they were. Right. Like, they were there. They were there. Like, like they, they didn't need sirens. Like, they were waiting for something yeah. to happen. And said, They set off the alarm. Normally, it takes four minutes to get there. They were there in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. They were right, right there on top of us. Right, right. He said, then there was a second wave of cops that came in. They're the ones that answered to the alarm. Right. He's the first ones. They were there waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Mr. White and Mr. Pink are like, they're off in the corner smoking, trying to figure out what happened. You know, kind of washing their face, washing their hands or whatever. Um, yeah, they're talking about alarm gets tripped. Mr. Blonde starts to shoot. Uh, you know, said so the cops were there, but they didn't make the presence known until Mr. Blonde started shooting everybody. Um, and uh, uh, Kaitel says, you know, Mr. White says, not from this Mr. White shit. And Mr. Pink says, don't tell me your name. Jesus Christ, I ain't going to tell you my name. Um, 
so you know realize that Mr. Pink is you know well we already know Mr. White's already given out his name. At this yes. Point. And, um, and at this point, we know that there might be an issue with the fact that Mr. Orange was calling him Larry. Right. Because Mr. Pink saying, "Don't tell me your name. I don't want to know your name. We're not supposed to know. We're anonymous." Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you see Mr. Pink uh, describing, you know, you know, how'd you get out of there? What happened? And you see the flashback of Mr. Pink running down the street with a bag in his hands. You don't realize what the bag is, but he's got a bag in his hands. Um, he drops the bag actually and picks it up. Um, and a woman hits him with a car. He like goes over the windshield, cracks the windshield, takes her car, he's driving down the street, you know, basically hunched down so the cops can't, you know, shoot him. Um, and uh, he said, you know, did you kill any cops? Or did you kill anybody? He says a couple cops. And Mr. White says, no real people? No, just cops. <laughs> um, and uh, they said, can you believe Mr. Blonde? And uh, at this point, you know, we, we don't know who Mr. Blonde is. We saw the scene in the diner. We know it's one of those guys. We don't know who it is, you know, what's going on yet. So um, we know it's one of the guys. So, you know, all talking about Mr. Blonde and what he did and what happened with uh, Mr. White. Says, uh, I got the diamonds, you know, or Mr. Pink says, I got the diamonds, I stashed them. And uh, Mr. Pink says, uh, I know the plan is null and void when we find out we got a rat in the house. It's a pretty good point, you know, because <laughs> who knows, who knows what's going on. Um, um, and it's pretty, I mean, pretty efficient storytelling, I think, the way they do, um, they do it all here. Um, and uh, the, Mr. White and Mr. Pink are saying, for all I know, you're the rat. He's like, for all I know, you're the rat. Now you're using your fucking head. You know, you need to, for all I know, he's the rat. You know, and he's saying, he just got shot. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, who knows? One of us is. So it's great because he's like challenging him to say that, you know, like to think, to like pay attention, you know. Um, don't assume. Don't assume anything. It's like, you know. Mr. Pink knows, like, I know I'm not the rat because I know what I did or didn't do, you know. But that's all I know, you know. And, and they, but and he says, I'm pretty, I'm very sure Mr. Blonde isn't the rat because he's, you know, psycho shooting, shooting. But he, he says that after Blonde shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and they have words about <clears throat> what Blonde did, right, right, or didn't do, and because uh, Mr. White's very unhappy with Mr. Blonde. Yeah, because he almost got killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, you have a little flashback scene, the introduction of uh, Mr. White. Um. And you hear him say, how's Alabama? Yep. <laughs> so tell me about who Alabama is. Alabama, we met before in a previous movie we've uh, looked at called True Romance. That'd be currently known as Alabama War League. Yes, yes. Uh, played by Patricia Arquette. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I've read uh, that uh, Tarantino at one point didn't want to do the, the Mr. White and Alabama movie, mm-hmm. but uh, never got around to it. Mm-hmm. Just as later on, we'll talk about the Vega Vega movie, but that he never had around to as well. Right, right. And I actually just watched uh, the, it was called QT8 or something, a uh, documentary uh, made not that long ago about Quentin Tarantino, about uh-huh. his first eight movies. And okay. uh, I just watched it, yes, two days ago, actually. Uh-huh. It's really good. Uh, it's really, it talks about, goes in, it's about two hours. It goes into depth about all of his first things. I didn't notice your find. Is that on uh, Netflix or is it? It's not free. I got I got it on Prime for like four okay. bucks. But, yeah. I feel looking for that. Uh, yeah. That's probably why I didn't want to do a little research on the movie before I watched it. And I didn't see, didn't see that. So I guess it was, it was behind a paywall somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
Uh, but before we get to uh, the next Tarantino movie, I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, it's, whether whatever another couple more on your list. Yeah, uh, I know Pulp Fiction's on your list. So definitely yeah. before yeah. I watch that, I'll, I'll yeah. There's a uh, there's three more on my list. So. Uh, yeah, it's got to be Pulp Fiction, yeah. Jackie Brown, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's the Hateful Eight. No, no. Um, Inglorious Bastard. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and actually, the I'd for, I had heard of that documentary. I forgot, but one of our listeners, uh, the guy Chris Lambert, I talked about, who told me about his experience at airport when he had made jokes about the movie Airplane. He mentioned it to me. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, and that reminded me. And I was watching it a couple of days ago. Very very informative and it talks a lot about the crossover between movies like the Alabama and the storylines and you know, between the you know so movies. many famous people Chris Lambert Mel Brooks <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um and um the uh so they talk about Alabama but that's when uh, Mr. White you know he said we were a team and we decided to call it quits um but Mr. White um you know he's basically talking about the details of the here's where you learn about the details of the, it's a diamond heist yeah uh, until then, you don't you don't know really what they're stealing or what they're doing exactly. It says what the exposure like. It says two minutes tops. A shipment of polished stones from Israel, and Mr. White says, "What's the cut?" And and uh, Joe says, "Juicy, Junior, real juicy." <laughs> I love the way he says that. Um, and uh, that's a uh, you know, and they're uh, they're in there uh, wondering about. Uh, Mr. Orange, if he, is he dead or what? Mr. Pink and Mr. White, because he's bleeding and he's passed out. Um, and they're talking about maybe they should, you know, go to some hotel or something, get out of there. Um, and uh, as they mentioned Joe could get him a doctor. Um, Mr. White says, I told him my name, you know. So, and Mr. Pink, you know, they got a rap shoe in here where you're from. Yeah, well, that's, that's it, man. They got your first name and your specialty. It ain't gonna take a long fucking time to figure out, you know, who you are, um, and uh, and this is where Mr. Pink and Mr. White are aiming guns at each other, and this is where Mr. Blonde enters, and you don't know he's there. It's kind of the camera pans. Camera pans. It, it starts with uh, Mr. Pink and Mr. White drawing guns at each other. Mr. Pink's on the ground. Mr. White's up above him, mm-hmm. and they're locked gun mm-hmm. to gun, pointing at each other, and it slowly pulls back across the warehouse. Mm-hmm. The camera shot, the dolly shot. And as it pulls back, Mr. Blonde is revealed, leaning up against the post, mm-hmm. slurping on a drink. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Blonde is, uh, you know, compared to the other guys in the movie, he's, he's too casual. <laughs> Overly casual. Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, they're asking him what happened, whatever. And Mr. White says, you better start talking, asshole, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, Mr. Blonde is it's like, are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Are you going to bite? I, I really think that the, the, the title Reservoir Dogs, I'm not the reservoir, but the dogs bark. This is it. Okay. Marco, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. They're all very talky exposition. Yeah. Um, they don't really show the crime. I think Tarantino didn't want to show the crime. Mm-hmm. He wanted to show everything but the crime. We all know it's a crime, the characters all know it's a crime. The hint at what the crime is, you see the aftermath of it. So our imagination takes over about what really happened. Mm-hmm. They talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they mentioned, oh, Mr. Bond, did you have to shoot that black girl? Did you have to shoot this? Yeah. Bang. And he did this. He did bang, bang. Yeah. Bang. Points, yeah. Mr. White points his hand using the gun. Yeah. 
Yeah, they mentioned the black girl. How old was she? She's like 20, maybe, maybe. 20. Yeah, like so they, yeah. they give description and you fill in your imagination, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mr. Pink has to break him up. They said, Look, assholes, calm the fuck down. <laughs> I love that because uh, Mr. White and Mr. Bond about to fight. Um, just as Mr. Pink and Mr. White were just fighting. Yeah, and uh, Mr. Pink uh, says right now he's the only one I know I can trust. He's too homicidal to be with the cops. Um, and uh, Mr. Pink uh, has a line, you know, somebody stick a red hot, sticking a red-hot poker up our ass, and I want to know whose name is on the handle. Love that line. <laughs> That's a very tangential line. Did you notice the cup Mr. Paul was holding? The drink he's drinking I mean, it's like a fast food place now. Yes, it was like a fast food place. In yeah. Fact, that design was later used to good effect picking a burger yes i was just guessing actually there was yeah. no label on the cup at this point because he i don't think he's he settled on big kahuna ah, okay but later on big kahuna in pulp fiction so it looks same, the same same design oh i didn't know that okay no i i can't believe i didn't know that actually as much as i've seen those two movies um <laughs> and uh it's a great little line and just you know um and uh mr blonde says you know i got something to show you and he takes him out to the car. Got a surprise. Opens the trunk. <laughs> shows him the cop. You know, cop of the trunk. Yeah, yeah. And then you then it cuts to the Mr. Blonde introduction. You know, where you see him meeting, uh, not meeting, the, the story of Mr. Blonde. Meeting with Joe. Uh, and and you get a name right front, Vic Vega. Vic Vega, yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of Vic Vega, uh-huh. later on, as we talk with about Pulp Fiction, uh-huh. Vic, John Travolta will play a character called Vince Vega, uh-huh. and in Tarantino lore. Vic and Vince are brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never mentioned in either movie. The, either other characters never mentioned, no, but yeah. Tarantino has said in his world, they're brothers. Right. And uh, yeah. even though Michael Madsen later was used to kill Bill, mm-hmm. although if in your Tarantino lore of what's real, what's cinematic, yeah. what's, I think the Kill Bill movies were the uh, cinematic Tarantino universe, the not yeah. real. Okay. Therefore, Michael Madsen would be in there as mm-hmm. another character, right? Because right. in the real world, yeah, the same people sit play the same characters. Yeah, well, they, he mentioned that at some time there was talk of making a Vega Brothers yes. movie. Yes, yeah, I mentioned that you earlier know. that they're going to be the two yeah. Vegas murder. But, but that's how he got around to really thinking about it. Both of them had aged out and they couldn't really yeah. play the part. Yeah, although I think they look they look enough and like certainly. Yeah, I would think an older Vegas movie right, right. would be very having them playing shuffleboard in Miami or something. Right? Having survived <laughs> whatever traumas they don't yeah. have through. Of course, <clears throat> they don't all survive. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, well, he it, mentioned, yeah, it's true because it has to be a prequel and they're way too be, old yeah, to be a prequel. Old. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to happen at this point, probably, but you know, it's a great idea at least. Uh, but Mr. Blonde's introduction, you know, he's talking about his parole officer, Scagnetti. And the same Scott maybe is in another movie. Turns out, I can't remember which one, uh, but it's presumed that there's, Sid Scagnetti is related to the there's there's patro- there's parole officers in Jackie Brown, maybe. Yeah, I remember that the, the, the name Scagnetti has to be yeah. something else. Maybe I don't know character. Yeah, it might be. Um, but the, you know, have Mr. Blonde messing with nice guy Eddie. He's uh messing with him about being in prison and all that semen that was pumped up his ass, you know. Um, and then you see, uh, you see, there, Eddie and uh, Mr. Blonde are jabbing at each other, and uh, you know, this is a. You see Eddie take off his watch, and set it on the desk, and then so do, like do a little uh, what do you call it the uh, the little 
prayer, you know, like the cross, the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Son oh, of the cross. Yeah. And uh, so he realized, okay, he took his, took his watch off. Something's going to happen. And that's when they start wrestling on the ground. Well, he, he didn't just take the watch off. He's taking other things off. He's punching out of his pocket, putting stuff on the desk. Yeah. Basically. Right. Uh, it's the equivalent of, a, of, a, of two females taking their earrings off. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Mr. Blonde says, I might break you in, nice guy, but I make you make him a dog's bitch. Um, and then we'll be back right after this. Toby, who the fuck is Toby? Like a virgin's not about some sensitive girl who meets a nice fella. That's what True Blue's about. No, granted, no argument about that. What's True Blue? Oh, you ain't heard True Blue. It's a big ass in from another. I don't even follow that type of the pop shit, and you've never heard of True Blue. Yeah, so even saying heard of it, you know, what I asked is how's it go? Excuse me for not being the world's biggest Madonna fan. Personally, I can do without her. I used to like her early stuff, borderline. She got off into that Papa Don't Preach phase. I turned out. But you guys are like making me lose my train of thought here. I was saying something. What was it? Oh, Toby's that little Chinese girl. Who's her last name? What's that? That's an old address book I found on a coat I haven't worn in a coon's age. What was that name? What the fuck was I talking about? So True Blue was about a guy, uh, a sensitive girl that meets a nice guy, but like a virgin with a metaphor for big dicks. Okay, let me tell you what Like a Virgin's about. It's all about this coos who's a regular fuck machine. Now I'm talking morning, day, night, afternoon. Dick, 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 dick. How many dicks is that? A lot. Then one day, she meets this John Holmes motherfucker, and it's like, whoa, baby. I mean, this cat is like Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. All right, now she's getting this serious dick action, and she's feeling something she ain't feel since forever. Pain. Toby Chu. It hurts. It hurts her. It shouldn't hurt. You know, her pussy should be bubbling up by now. But when this cat fucks her, it hurts. It hurts just like it did the first time. You see, the pain is reminding the fuck machine what it was once like to be a virgin. Hence, like a virgin. Wow. Who that fucking now what the hell do you think you're doing? You're my boat. I'm sick of fucking hearing it, Joe. I'll give it back to you when we leave. What do you mean when we leave? Give me it back now. For the past 15 minutes now, you've been droning on about names. Toby. 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 Toby Wong. Toby Wong. Toby Wong. Toby Chung. Fucking Charlie Chan. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? You know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the ball to say that. Uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. <laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Hey, look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want to fill six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? 
You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So it's working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up. That ain't my fault. I mean, it would appear that waitresses are one of the many groups the government fucks in the ass on a regular basis. I mean, if you show me a piece of paper that says the government shouldn't do that, I'll sign it. Put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. And it's non-college bullshit you're giving me. I got two words for that. Learn to fucking play. Okay, we're back here on the podcast talking about Reservoir Dogs. Uh, this movie came out... It, Came it was came out in ninety one, but like ninety two is when it was really in theaters. Yeah. Um and uh the budget on it, uh one point two million, uh box office three million. Uh you know, the uh adjusted gross box office twenty six million. So, you know, um this is a movie that certainly the impact has been a hundred times what the real box yeah. office was for sure. Um, Not just in, uh, I don't know, the public consciousness, but the fact that it launched Tarantino. Yeah. Director. Right, right. Director who, yes. And yes. went from a screenwriter who could write interesting stories that people really liked and wanted to make movies of to a director, a writer-director that studios want to go back with their money mm-hmm. and make money at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, this movie is, uh, on the IMDb rank movies of all time. Currently, like I said, this, uh, IMDb ranking can change nothing daily or weekly. That's 87 on the all time. Uh, 87th. Yeah. All time IMDb rank movies. Does it have a rotten tomato something? Um, you know, I, I forgot to look it up. Um, you can look it up only mention these other things, yeah. I guess. Um, but it's, uh, I'm sure it's probably very good because I think the critics love this movie. Um. Now, uh, I didn't have an official release date of this movie. It's just hard to find, actually, but certainly late 91, early 92. Um, do you remember? I'll say where I first saw this movie was I first saw this movie after Pulp Fiction because I loved Pulp Fiction as soon as it came out. And um, my roommate at the time, I was living in Conyers, and my roommate, John, you know, I was talking about Pulp Fiction, I think, one day, and he's like, well, have you seen Reservoir Dogs? He's like, like, no, no, what's that? Like, I don't think I even knew what Reservoir Dogs was because it was such an art film kind of like. Yeah, I think I had the same uh, impression of it. I had not heard of it. I wasn't aware yeah. of Tarantino. I don't think I'd seen stuff he'd done already mm-hmm. as a writer. Um, I think the first time I was really aware of Quentin Tarantino as anything was from Dust of Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was more more to do with uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez and uh, George Clooney mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that Harry Keitel was in it, Julia Lewis, mm-hmm. actors that I really liked and knew. Mm-hmm. And then there in the middle of it was Quentin Tarantino, yeah. the younger brother, the, the crazy guy. And that's what I knew him as. And yeah. Then, oh, he also makes movies? Uh, yeah. And he'd already made Reservoir Dogs. That 
back in out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was aware of it. And again, mm-hmm. it was one of those art house type movies, mm-hmm. little, 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 little thing. Yeah. But once Pulp Fiction hit, mm-hmm. boom. Oh, yeah. The big, the big dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, I saw that because of, you know, because of my roommate. I mean, I'm sure I, obviously I would have seen it eventually. But, um, the uh, but that's I didn't see it till after Pulp Fiction, so probably saw it in uh, maybe summer of '95 or so is when I saw Reservoir Dogs, and certainly loved it. And uh, all right, so I uh, looked up the Reservoir Dogs and the Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. with a uh, critics tomato meter count of 71 critics weighing in, 92 mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, and an audience score of 94 percent with yeah nearly half a million people weighing in. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that's a pretty high score for half a million people to. Uh, Mm-hmm. Dump up there. Yeah, um, yeah. Generally speaking, the more people that, that pile in on the movie, the lower the score gets. This one actually went higher than the critics. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, ninety-two. I, that's probably, I guess, what I would have guessed on this movie. It's certainly critically loved. Um, surprisingly, um, when I always check the uh, the four the AFI four hundred nominated movies of all time, um. The newest list, which is 2007, which I fully expected this movie to be on, is not on the 400 nominated movies. Surprise. I can I can see that. I see one. Yeah. Uh, watching this recently, again, uh, with a different eye, I mm. went in with a different. I wanted to change my viewpoint. Yeah. So I did research on the movie mm-hmm. prior to watching it, so that I, when I watched it at this time, it would be like, uh, you know, I don't want to watch it as a movie, enjoy it as I, mean, I want to look at it critically. From knowing other things about the movie, so I, I noticed all of the uh, the, the low budget mm-hmm. parts of it. Um, from uh, I think I mentioned uh, the the blood pooling at the bottom of the ramp and how they position him, and uh, also one notices that uh, everything in the uh, or nearly everything in the warehouse was almost staged like a play, mm-hmm. as if you could do all of that mm-hmm. with all those actors oh, yeah. playing those parts, those very dramatic, very emotional. Like you're watching a play. Yeah. So everything, even the, the actual wide open uh, warehouse, reminded me of a stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see where this could be easily adapted into a stage play. No, you, you wouldn't be able to show everything. But then again, the whole point about this movie is that you don't show everything. You right. talk about it. You hint at it. You show the after effects and ramifications. Um, so... Uh, I, I saw a lot of the low budget stuff that was there, and it was low budget because it was mm-hmm. 1.2 million. And I could see where the shooting schedule, which I believe was like 35 days, mm-hmm. uh, and I also understood that I was reading that the Lawrence Tierney was a uh, problematic for a lot of reasons, and yeah. they filmed all this stuff very quickly early on. And after three or four days, you got let go, so they did everything else. But I put yeah. him after that, mm-hmm. without him after that. Um, because they knew they had problems with that. So a lot of the stuff was rushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see from other Tarantino movies that some of the scenes maybe could use a little more polish, a little mm-hmm. more go-through. Uh, hey, you know, we really like that, but let's tweak this, tweak that. And none of that was there. Mm-hmm. What we later know of Tarantino and what he's really possible, really good at, mm-hmm. they not all quite there. I mean, the the... The beginnings of it, yeah, there. and and the way he tells a story. I think we talked about with True Romance the the whole way he likes to tell a story about you show everyone that the characters know what's going on, even yeah. if we don't, yeah, and then slowly reveal what the characters know, 
until it gets to the point where we know what's going on, then they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all here in this movie. Um, but it's all unpolished. Yeah. Yeah, true. true. Um, the uh, the other movies in theaters at the time. Uh, this is a, it's a good list here. Uh, JFK, Adam, the Adams Family movie. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Wayne's World, Shakes the Clown, My Cousin Vinny, Lawnmower Man. Uh, you know, where's that list? Uh, Adam's Family, uh, mm-hmm. JFK, mm-hmm. Saw in the Theater, Hander, no, Stop uh, no, Wayne's World, Saw in the Theater, Shakes the Clown, I saw in the theater. That was a fun movie. I love I um, It didn't make my list, but man, I my, used to love that movie. And My Cousin Vinny and Lawnmower Man, I saw all of those in the theater. Really? In, within two or three weeks of the Shakes the Clown, uh, Used to be, I didn't make my list. Used to be, it is a, it is a terrible movie that I really love. It's one of those like, <laughs> it's got every stand up in it, and yeah. uh, it's really bizarre. Early Adam Sandler, and uh, it's got Henning Youngman in it, and uh, and it was Bobcat in? that brought me into it. Like, I oh yeah, because it's got Bobcat. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh. yeah, it's got SpongeBob, and you know, it's, it's really, it's great. It's worth checking out. Lawnmower Man. Uh, I brought up for it gets a mention on community because because <laughs> uh, what's his name uh, Keith David that's on at the uh, yeah. the last season because he was supposedly a, he was he was a virtual reality expert and he he's like I was a technical advisor on that movie he's defending because Jeff is <laughs> saying what a piece of shit it is it is and I I know I went to watch it because it was based on Stephen King's story mm-hmm. and right right then what I actually got to see on screen was like so wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it was presented, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, Stephen King wrote this. I yeah, mean, this is not one of the best Stephen King adaptations no. out there. No, and Hand and Rocks the Cradle was a movie that a lot of people were talking about yes. back then, and doesn't doesn't ever get mentioned no. anymore. But it was a big deal. Yes. Wayne's World, comedy classic. Yes, I mean, JFK was enormous. Adam's Family was a great movie. Really. Yes, it was. I loved that. Um, and my cousin Vinny. A timeless classic. I mean, and it's huge. It's like, on your list, isn't it? Oh yeah, right. oh yeah, it's on my list. Um, and then we have Stop No Mama Will Shoot. You know what? This is probably one of the first movies with big stars in it. And I, I looked at the title, I looked at the premise, I looked at the trailer, and I'm like, no way. Yeah, I can just see from here. Right. No. You see the commercial, like fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah, you like, you know, <laughs> I I can. Tell I've I've seen enough movies that I can look at this trailer and tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not worth my time. And yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, I've probably seen parts of it on TV. Yeah, I don't think I've ever I seen it. Seen and it. even it's considered one of his Stallone's worst movies. Yeah, but it is my favorite. Is still getting. <laughs> uh, no question. Even though I haven't seen it, but yeah, that's that was just a classically made fun of bad uh, movie. Who, who did Cop in the Hat? Around, yeah, yeah. So was that around the same time as this, roughly? Uh, yeah, within a year or so, yeah. yeah. And that was probably a much better movie than stuff in the normal shoot. Um, so yeah, that's a uh, um. So the director in this movie, we already talked about a little bit, Tarantino. Tarantino, you know, writer director. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, uh, in my you know, in my uh, mind, uh, certainly one of, if not my favorite director of all time. I put him up there. Top yeah. My, yeah, definitely my top. I'll, I'll say top five storytellers. Yeah. Uh, I like people who can tell a good story. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't mean just in the movies. Um, I like Lula Moore. I like mm-hmm. Rose Downey Gardner. I like Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. I like Eddie Rice Burroughs. I like Quentin Jensen. I yeah. would put him in the top five of all storytellers. Yeah. I like. um, and I think I pretty much just named one right there. Right. Yeah. Uh, they could tell stories. Yeah. And uh, there are some other people that tell really good stories. Uh, Grisham, mm-hmm. James Patterson, a mm-hmm. uh, few people that I can just name off the top of my head in movies that I love the way they tell stories. Yeah. Um, uh, we talked about the last one, uh, Joel Schumacher's the movie uh, that we just talked about. Falling Down. Falling Down. Mm-hmm. Incredibly well told story. Yeah. Based on all of his work, um, that was the top of his game. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. Told story. The rest of his work, some good things, some bad things. I wouldn't put him in the top ten. No, nah. my favorite storytellers, nah. but nah. that movie definitely. Did. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tarantino. I have yet to see a movie that he wrote and directed, and therefore makes him the storyteller. That was bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, all good. Yeah, uh, you can rank them for sure, but I would not make any of his movies. I would not say any of his movies were bad. No, I mean, like, you know, he wrote Natural Born Killers, and Natural Born Killers doesn't come close to my top 100, but it's still much a fucking better, great movie. Much better than Stopper My Mouth. Right, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and again, he, he, I wouldn't say that he was the storyteller there because there's so many people involved, yes, different yes. director, mm-hmm. different producers, but, and that's one of the things I look for when I say storyteller, you know how involved they are in really controlling all of the story, the way it's told, how it's delivered to us, the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's too many people chopping it up, it's, it's tough to tell who the real storyteller is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you got one or maybe two people working together, controlling all of that, then you've got a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wanted to mention the, uh, I found out watching a documentary that uh, or it might have been online. I can't remember. But Madonna refuted the. It was online. Madonna refuted the meaning of Quentin Tarantino. What he says in here about like a virgin. Uh, she gave him a signed copy of her book Erotica, and she said it's not about dick. It's about love. <laughs> so clear that up. Um, oh, and of course, uh, Chris Penn in the movie, Sean Penn's brother. Right. I was married of course to Sean. Oh Penn's yeah, brother. you know yeah I knew you know. I knew that, but I forgot. I forgot actually. Yeah, they're talking about True Blue and everything. Like um, now, um, I want to mention you know Lawrence Tierney. um, He's notoriously one of the hardest people to work with, like ever. Uh, He was on a very famous. uh, Well, I don't even know. Every every Seinfeld episode was famous, but he was Elaine's father. Was only on one episode. It was the jacket episode where Jerry gets the jacket with the pink lining on the inside uh, and it's snowing outside and he has to wear it, reverse it. And he's, and they're acting, Jerry and George are terrified of him. And that's not an act. Like they talk, you know, in the behind the scenes, like he was terrifying. Like he was scary. And uh, cause he always played a gangster and old, uh, like, uh, like probably forties movies. He was also episode of the Simpsons where he played a, uh, um, where Bart shoplifts and he plays a, uh, like this, the, the, Store security and uh, and the commentary on The Simpsons, they said the same thing. He's he's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's funny because, like, <laughs> going back to Seinfeld, you know, they would bring in a character actor, an old 
actor to play a part like that, they would have that reoccurring actor back yeah. time and time again right. throughout. And, and 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 when they finished everything up, they brought them all back. Right. And, you know, picking the the, right. the, uh, the trial scene in the end. Right. Uh, <clears throat> packing as many old characters as they could. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Uh, he was. Well, I think show, he, he may have been dead at that point. Yes. But, but still, yeah. I mean, he's playing he, Elaine's father. That's a major character. Yeah. All, could all, be. all the parents were there. Right, could be. Was, yeah, exactly. Except on what Kramer. Kramer well, no, Kramer's mother, remember, later on, because she's oh, the yeah. one that reveals his first name is Cosmo. There so, we go. yeah, even Kramer's mother. Yeah. So, yeah, he's yeah. a notorious just asshole. I mean, <laughs> and I like how they describe him. You know, Tim Roth describes him the thing. <laughs> Dude looks like the thing in the Fantastic Four, which is it's pretty true, actually. Which is actually kind of funny because uh, one of the iterations of Fantastic Four, Michael Chiklis played Ben Graham, the thing, mm -hmm. and Lawrence Cheney in this movie, and Michael Chiklis, and they pretty much look alike. Yeah, yeah they do. They do. Um, um, so, a tagline for this movie, seven total strangers team up for the perfect crime. They don't know each other's name, but they've got each other's color. Yeah. Uh, you know, was it it's not seven, that great. Or was it five? <laughs> Well, I mean, you have you know. we have eight players, but there are six right in the gang. Yeah, because uh, Joe and Eddie, Joe and Eddie aren't really part of the gang, part of the criminal. Yeah, I don't know. that's what it says. The seven. Yeah, I think it's off. I mean, the tagline, the, the color thing is kind of it's a weird tagline. It's not great. It's not that clever. It's I don't know whatever. Bechdel test on this movie. Were there moving any, on. Were there any women in this movie? <laughs> moving on. Were there any women? In yeah, the movie? woman that gets hit by the car. We don't even see the waitress that they're bitching about. And the woman that <laughs> owned the Cadillac that shot Mr. Right. Orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, we don't know. No. Does not pass. Sorry, Quentin. There's not even a woman that even has a line other than the woman that maybe screams. Thankfully, he made kill the car. Thankfully, made kill Bill playing one line two, where uh, plenty of women. Uh, talk to each other. Okay, yeah. So Kill Bill probably probably uh, passes the test, um, but I guess definitely not this movie. That's for sure. Not even. Yeah, I believe that uh, True Man Romance did not pass the test. Yeah, it was written by him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we last we left off was uh, when we met Mister Blonde and uh, him and Eddie were wrestling around on the floor. Um, but you see. Uh, Eddie Eddie is on the phone with his with his dad, and uh, he's telling him uh, I think they were set up, um, and uh, said they were punching shows what shows them in the warehouse punching the cop, tying him up tying him up, um, and they tell Eddie they think we're set up. And Eddie gets there and he says who got this Eddie who got the stones? Mister Pink says I got him. I stashed him away. Actually, he, he kind of qualifies. He says I got a bag. Does he? Yeah, he's, okay. He, 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 earlier, he said, I got the goods. I got the stones. We mm -hmm. talking to Mr. White. But when Andy comes in, instead of saying, I got the stones, he says, well, I got a bag. Mm -hmm. So maybe they didn't get all of what they really wanted. Oh, okay. Maybe they didn't wind up with all of what they really wanted. Because he says, I got a bag. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that distinction is important, especially when he knows that he's really going to deal with Joe mm -hmm. right here fairly soon. As opposed to, I got all the stones. He goes, Oh, I got a bag. Yeah. And that might be a, you know, it doesn't really come to fruition in this movie, but maybe, you know, that distinction is, is important. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even think about that actually. Um, 
And then uh, Nice Kitty says, first we get rid of these cars out there. It looks like Sam's hot car lot. I like that. That little line makes me laugh. Um, it says uh, Blonde. I think he actually says Blondie. Like, instead of Blondie, stay here and babysit these two. Referring to the cop and Mr. Orange. Yes. Um, and uh, and uh, Mr. Blonde, this is where he goes up to uh, Mr. Orange's. You know, as far as we know, he's just passed out on the ground. Um, and uh, so Mr. Blonde goes up to the cop. He's like, I don't give a good fuck what you know or don't know. I'm going to torture you anyway. And uh, all you can do is pray for a quick death, which you ain't going to get. And uh, he's like, you ever listen to Kate Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? <laughs> Turns the radio on and uh, the, uh, they hear the opening beat of the Steelers wheel. And he just, Mr. Blonde just smiles and he just starts dancing around. What an iconic Iconic scene for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, dancing to Steelers wheel. Yeah, while torturing the cat. Yeah, and Michael Madsen on the documentary talks like, "Hey, I'm not. You can tell I'm not a good dancer. I'm just, yeah. I'm just doing whatever." And uh, I remember one time watching that with my roommate and uh, and uh, some girl that was there too. And we were uh, that movie was on. We were drinking, and that scene came on. And I was like, dancing in the living room, <laughs> dancing, dancing to that song. It was. Would, and this was like 15 years ago. And he used a song to very good effect when mm-hmm. Lon stepped out of the warehouse. Mm-hmm. He goes to the door, steps out of the warehouse. Yes. Music cuts off. Silence. He walks across. You hear the, the neighborhood sounds. Yeah. There's kids in the distance, maybe yeah. a bird, whatever. He goes to the trunk. He opens the trunk. Mm-hmm. He pulls out a gas can. Goes to the trunk. He's looking around. He walks back. As soon as he opens the door to the warehouse, steals the wheels going. Yeah, that, I love that. The way that that music cuts out, it's yeah. gone and it comes back. And I can't remember, but I know at least one movie we've done so far where that was used, that similar thing was used where the music's gone and it comes back. But yeah, I love the way they do that. And plus, you know, picking a, you know, a fun song to do that to yes. is great, you know. And, and that song has become iconic. And that song was not a well-known song. I mean, I knew Jared Rafferty saying it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because he, uh, he says, uh, he believes mm-hmm. DJ before the show. He says, Joey and Jerry Rafferty. Right, right. I don't remember if she was being Joey and Jerry Rafferty. Yeah. It might have been Joey something. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I did think Jerry had a brother that he worked with. But, you know, I don't know. But they mentioned uh, Bob Dylan esque bubblegum pop. Yes. Yeah. And uh, setting it up for, you know, just a you know fun song and it's great. And he goes to the you know there gets the gasoline, and uh, um, and uh, you know he's Mr. Blonde smiles when he hears the song and dances with the razor in his hand, um, and he cuts his uh, you know, of course he jabs at him with his uh, with his uh, razor and then goes up and just cuts his ear off. And you don't see that. You uh, right, right. He, he, it pans he, away. He straddles the cop. Right. He's tied to the chair. He's got the tape around his mouth. Yeah. And it slowly pans up and then stops. Mm-hmm. Well, they're out of, out of, out of frame. You hear mm-hmm. what's going on. You hear the cops struggling and screaming under the tape. And uh, then Mr. Blonde steps up into frame mm-hmm. and he's admiring his new trophy. The mm-hmm. ear. The ear yeah. he just got off. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, uh, talks into the. Uh, Talks into the ear. Hey, you hear that? Say, hey, did you hear that? Yeah. And uh, and then he goes. Oh, yeah. Then the he gas. walks out the car and the, the music vanishes and comes back, um, gets the gasoline. 
and uh, Aaron says, here's some fire scarecrow. And that's when Mr. Orange, you think he's maybe dead or shortly passed out, pops up and shoots him. Just before he's about to light right. up. Yeah. So then boom, 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 blocks the gunfire from Mr. Orange. Oh, yeah. Knocking out the... Yeah, yeah. And then Mr. Orange kills Mr. Blonde. And, uh, um, you know, Mr. Orange tells the cop that's there, I'm a cop. And the cop says, yeah, yeah, I know. Name's Freddie something we met at. We were introduced by someone. Which is incredibly interesting because he completely, I, I was buying it that he had no, he knew nothing. Right. That I went on the four or six months, they don't tell me that I was buying it. Right. Until this point, but yeah, I know you're a cop. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, a, exactly. that's a good guy that kept his mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, right now he's talking. Right. And who knows what's wired up. Nowadays, you wouldn't know. Right, right. Um, and uh, the cop's name is Marvin. And, uh, you know, Marvin Nash. Yeah, Marvin. And it's really, I think they picked the name. It's even awkward to say with his always blood and everything. Marvin Nash, you know, the way he's trying to say it. Uh, he's like, Marvin, I need you to hold on. There's cops waiting to block away. Um, and then that's where you see Mr. Orange's introduction, which is him talking to the other kind of cop that was basically training on, training yes. on how to be undercover and telling him how to tell a story. Um, and uh, he's the like, commode story. yeah, the commode story. Well, and then he's, he asked before that, he's like, you Mr. White talk. And uh, he says a little, he's like, he's a Brewers fan. And uh, he said he lost some money on the night before. He's like, he's got to be from Milwaukee. You know, because the Brewers just aren't a team that, you know, like. You like, if you're like Milwaukee. Yeah, exactly. It's not a team where a lot of people like from other places. So he's got to be from Milwaukee. And then the commode story, yeah. And he basically is rehearsing the script, you know, of the story about when he was a kind of a low-level drug dealer. And uh, and uh, he's in, you know, he's talking about how, you know, back in 86, you know, it was hard to get, which is something these other guys would, would know probably. And he's in the uh, men's room with all the cops and the, and the drug, the German Shepherd. And uh, he's just sitting there with a bag full of pot. And it's funny now that wouldn't even matter. <laughs> Really, um, but uh, well, maybe a bag. Yeah, a bag might. Maybe. Yeah. Um, well, in California, but I don't know. Um, he walks in there, and uh, you know, he has to wash his hands, and he has to hit the dryer, and it sounds like a sounds like a jet plane. <laughs> um, and uh, that's you know, that's just a great little thing, and it's just something you know, it's all nothing. It's just something he. It's a story that he's rehearsing, so yeah. he can. He can make them believe that he's a real criminal, basically. Um, and uh, the under the other uh, the undercover cop, the other guy says, "Tell me more about Cabot. He's a he's a cool guy, like the thing, the thing." Yeah. And he's got the Silver Surfer uh, poster in his yes. apartment too. Mister Orange does. Um, and I noticed before he, you know, he's psyching himself up, and uh, you know, he puts a ring on before he leaves. Um, he puts it. It goes back. He he leaves. Mr. Orange leaves his apartment, goes back in, gets a ring out of like a change full of change. Dumps a change out of the, the jar. Yeah. Fishes the ring out, puts it yeah. on. So the ring is, I guess his character is yeah. married, I guess, and he's not. I, I'm, I'm thinking that's what it means, I guess. Um, and he's psyching himself up, you know, looking in the mirror. Don't pussy out on me. They don't know. They don't know shit. You're not going to get hurt. You're fucking Beretta. They believe every word because you're super cool. 
<laughs> and uh, and you see that when he's leaving uh, to go to the job, uh, the undercover cops are in the car following. Yeah, you hear him talk, and they're following. And they're like says say something about it. Must have been uh, stones. Must have some big stones to do that. Um, this is when they're all talking about the cop shows in the in the car. And uh, they actually mentioned they were talking about Christy Love. Yeah. Like Pam Greer is like, no, it wasn't Pam Greer. So of course, Pam Greer later later is a yep, yep, yep. major. I believe that Christy Love was Teresa Graves. Okay, okay. I you know I meant to look that up, but you know Pam Greer, you know, was actually of course Jackie Brown. Yes, but she was cut out of Pulp Fiction. Um, and so later, Quentin's like, no, I'll find this part for you my next one. Yeah, he's made made a movie about her. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they tell the joke about not the joke, but uh, E. Lois, how she uh, had a cheating boyfriend and glued his dick to his belly. Yeah. How would you feel if every time you had to take a piss, you had to do a handstand? Yeah. <laughs> so it's more just Tarantino, just you know, just silly little uh, you know dialogue in between really serious things. Um, and uh, we'll be back right after this. What happened to you? Figured you were dead. Hey, you okay? Did you see what happened to Blue? We didn't know what happened to you and Blue. That's what we were wondering about. What? Come on, man. Look, Brown is dead. Orange got it in the belly. He's enough! Alive. Enough! You better start talking, asshole. Because we got shit we need to talk about. We're already freaked out. We need you acting freaky like we need a fucking bag on our hip. Okay, let's talk. We think we got a rat in the house. I guarantee we got a rat in the house. What makes you say that? Is that supposed to be funny? Look, we think this place ain't safe. This place just ain't secure anymore. We're leaving. You should go with us. Nobody's going anywhere. Piss on this fucking turd. We're out of here. Don't take another step, Mr. White. Fuck you, maniac! It's your fucking fault we're in this trouble. What's this guy's problem? What's my problem? Yeah, I got a fucking problem. I got a big fucking problem. With any trick you have, a madman almost gets me shot. What the fuck are you talking about? That fucking shooting spree. In the store, remember? Oh, fuck them. They set off the alarm. They deserve what they got. You almost killed me. I know what kind of guy you were. I never would have agreed to work with you. <clears throat> are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't catch it. Would you repeat it? Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Hey, look, you two assholes, calm the fuck down. Hey, come on, back up. What, are we on a playground here, huh? Am I the only professional? Fucking guys who act like a bunch of fucking niggers, man. You working niggers, huh? Just like you two. Always saying they're gonna kill each other. You said yourself you thought about taking him out. Fucking said that. Yeah, I did, okay? I did. But that was then. Right now, this guy is the only one I completely trust. Fucking homicidal to be working with the cops. You taking his side? No! Fuck sides, man. What we need here is a little solidarity. Somebody's sticking a red-hot poker up our asses. I want to know whose name's on the handle. <sighs> Fuck. 
I know I'm no piece of shit. I'm pretty sure you're okay. And I'm fucking positive you're on the level. Let's try and figure out who the bad guy is, all right? Wow. <laughs> that was really exciting. <laughs> I bet you're a big Lee Marvin fan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, me too. I love that guy. That was the Partridge Family's Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, followed by Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, as Kay Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend Just Keeps On Trucking. podcast talking about reservoir dogs it's time to talk about uh the game that we do every week now called last man stanton and we're going to pick an actor and we're going to name movies they've been in and uh paul today you're going to select the number one through ten one through ten i think last time i picked somewhere on the number one number one uh tom hanks tom hanks would you like to go first or second it doesn't matter too much here there's, there's so many. It's a there. lot of games, a lot of names. So. Sully. Sully, yeah, I've heard of that one. Uh, let's say Forrest Gump. Uh, I've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Bachelor Party. Okay. I'm going to say uh, Survivor. The Money Pit. I meant to say Castaway. I believe just lost. <laughs> no, I didn't realize as soon as I said it. Castaway. Uh, I the Money Pit. Castaway. I would pay attention. Yeah, obviously. Um, uh, Philadelphia. Good movie. Um, hey. Yeah, I like that one. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, what was that movie where he was, uh, I'm going to go with uh, The Terminal. Ah, Apollo 13. Okay. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. Oh, I like that movie. It's a rare movie where he was not the number one lead. DiCaprio, directed by Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, The Burbs. Burbs uh, with a B. Two Bs. Earlier movie. Yeah. Um, Splash. Okay. Um, Volunteers. Oh. Um, let's see. Uh, 
can't do that. Maybe. So we can have to skip over that one and go back a little further. Dun, 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 dun. Dragnet. Okay. Uh, the Da Vinci Code. What is the plot? Angels and Demons. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, the um, uh, Larry Crown. I'm going to go on a run here. Toy Story. Toy Story 4. Toy Story 2. Toy Story 3. Toy Story 75. Yeah. No, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I can remember the name of that one. I'll skip it. The man with one red shoe. Um. I'm going to go with uh, uh, let's see there's definitely one I was uh, the one I was trying to save but uh, um, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, um, fuck. It's like 30 more movies. I'm going to start to hit you with the ones you're like, oh my god, oh my god, come on. Um, I'm going to say... We never even need my pocket. Yeah. I'm going to say that episode of Family Ties where he's an alcoholic. <laughs> TV. Sorry. <laughs> Uncle Ned. No right, way. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I fuck. I don't know. Fuck. And you got 10 more? 10 more? Um, I'm going to go with when Harry met. Sorry. Yeah. Sleepless <laughs> in Seattle. Oh, geez. I just thought of one. Yeah. Well, you got mail. Joe versus Volcano. Joe versus Volcano. Yeah. All the Meg Ryan movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, my pocket movie was Polar Express. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, and there, there are others out there. You know, I thought of Joe versus Volcano earlier. I couldn't think of the one where uh, he was the politician and it was someone, someone, yeah, war, somebody, Billions Charlie, war. Charlie Wilson's, war. Charlie Wilson's, war. that was a good movie. I like that. And uh, there was another one I was thinking of, the most recent one was uh, uh, Mr. Rogers. Uh, uh there was uh, yeah. Saving Mr. Saving Mr. Mr. Banks. Banks. I like that movie. Uh, there's a lot out there, but the Meg Ryan movies, I couldn't believe you weren't seeing any of them. I didn't want to bring a single one up. Yeah. Until you broke the ice. And his first movie was, uh, and I can't remember the title for sure, but it was something about Dungeon Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, like a, uh, yeah, like a warning spell. Was it? I oh, think okay. it was. I don't think it was, because they've used it on Douglas movies. Like They have that rule. When, uh, I, it might not have been. I, yeah. I always wanted to think that it was. Maybe mm -hmm. it was just so cheaply made. Oh, yeah. It was definitely. It was cheaply made, for sure. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, yeah. Uh, we should have gone. And there was, 15 sure there was dozens of others. Right. 
If there was a group of four people doing I, it, I could not be one of the big ones. Uh, I just saw Joe Voice Volcano on TV. I watched it a few months ago. Yeah. It was yeah. on my, you know what? I've seen this a while. They're doing these movies. I'm almost not proud of your list. Nah, nah. But uh, it was such an odd movie. Mm-hmm. And so many people played multiple parts in there. I remember it being very interesting. Yeah. Interesting to watch. I can't remember who directed it. Abe Vigoda and Nathan Lane playing native natives. Yes. Um, it was <laughs> it was an odd movie. And mm-hmm. Meg Ryan played a few different yeah 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 oh well um so back to the story uh we're talking about we're up to the point where they have the meeting where they discuss where they get the names where they discuss and uh and then joe's and where do they get the names uh from colors joe gives them names oh yeah 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 absolutely you are mr white right yeah, well, it's um. I, I think he could have picked any generic thing. You're Mr. Dog. You're Mr. Cat. You're right. Mr. Wolf. He picked colors, mm-hmm. and of course, when they get to Steve, Steve Buscemi's character, because you're Mr. Pink. Goes, Mr. Pink, you yeah. don't want to be pink. Which people think I'm why, gay. Why? He says, "Why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a fag, right? <laughs> why can't we pick our own colors? Because some other guy on another thing is Mr. Purple. Yeah, you know, he wants to be Mr. Yes. Purple. But you know, Joe Joe says, uh. At the meeting starts. Let me tell a story. Five guys sitting around the bullpen in San Quentin. What did we do wrong? Why were we planning this caper? All we did was sit around and tell jokes. Got the message. He's like, "Boys, I didn't mean to yell at you." <laughs> he wasn't really yelling, but you know, but didn't, Mr. Pink, didn't mean to holler at you. Mr. Pink definitely gets the point. Right. In charge. Yes. Accept the name, and this comes back around to the tipping. Mm-hmm. The first scene when Joe says, "Throw in a buck." Well, since you paid for everything, yes, yes, because he's already learned the lesson. Joe's in charge, right, right. And and this in this meeting now, this is something that means something. There's a zoom in on Mr. Orange, and we know why, because we know we know he's the cop now, and that's that's why. I mean, it's something that means something because we know it. Earlier, it wouldn't have meant anything, but yeah. and yeah, he says the way he says it is great. Hear your names, Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. You know, and uh, you know, and also Quentin Tarantino is Mr. Brown. Is like Mr. Brown. That's a little too close to Mr. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, Mr. Pink says, "You want to trade? Nobody's trading with anyone. This ain't a goddamn city council meeting." Um, and then uh, they're talking about the the strategy of when they're going inside. Uh, uh, Mr. White is saying, what happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Smash your nose with the better your gun. This is uh, not that scene. Right, right. scene. This is White and Orange in the car, yeah. looking at the time yeah. exchange, mm-hmm. talking about what's going to go on. And White asks Orange, okay, what's the rundown? Mm-hmm. And Orange gives it to him, mm-hmm. uh, character by character. This person will be here. I'll be outside, training him from coming in, all the stuff. And him being outside allows him to Watch the cops roll up. Mm-hmm. Not going to he's not going to call. He's not going to tell him, hey, the cops are all the business. Now we know why. Yeah. How they snuck up so easily. Mr. Orange was the man outside. Yeah. Um, he prevents anyone else from coming in, presumably for the for the gang, so that no one else interferes with the robbery, but actually in in his cop mind, to prevent anyone else from getting in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh mentions the position for everyone inside camera what everyone does mm-hmm. um, but the fact that he's outside I think is very important yeah yeah and 
Yeah, and we had, we see Mr. Brown on that next scene. Well, a flashback or a flash forward. Mr. Brown's driving. And he crashes into the car. Yes. And uh, and uh, Mr. White, you know, kills the two cops, which they're following. And Mr. Orange is just looking because that's his that's his buddies, his partners, his his friends. You know. And he just looks, you know. And then they go back to Mr. Brown, who was slightly alive, and now he's dead. After the crash, he is. Yes. Fired. Yes. Um, and. Uh, and but Mr. Mr. Orange is whole. Mm-hmm. There's none in him. He hasn't been shot yet. Right. But now we learn how he gets shot. Yeah. Uh, as Mr. White and Mr. Orange are escaping from the scene, leaving Mr. Brown on the car behind them, leaving the two cops shot up in the car behind them. They waylay the Cadillac from the first scene. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> go to pull the lady out of the car. And as they're going to pull her out, she leans over into the glove box, pulls out a gun. The door gets opened by Mr. Orange, and she just shoots him right now. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots her back. Yeah. He kills her, and they drag her out of the car, and boom. Yeah. And then they show the same scene from the beginning from a slightly different perspective. Right. Close up on Orange. Yeah. You know, I'm dying. I'm shot. Be quiet. Don't say that. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two of that. And, uh, and then we get back in the warehouse, and uh, that's where Nice Guy Eddie's there, and... Uh, Orange is saying, you know, um, nice lady comes back with pink and white. They mm-hmm. have the bag. They have the diamonds. Yeah. Uh, did they have the diamonds in this game? Did they have the bag in this game? I think they did. I can't remember. I don't want to look that again. Um, and then they see Vince Vega, <laughs> Mr. Blonde, they're dead at the front door. Mm-hmm. And they ask what's going on. And Orange right. says, he was about to light up the car. Um, yeah. Which makes no sense from a criminal right. perspective. Eddie, why he would stop. Eddie says, this cop, and he just shoots him, yeah. kills him, dead. <laughs> and then he says, you should tell the guy that's blood of our blood, family of our family, the guy that did all this for, for my dad, mm-hmm. is suddenly going to turn on us? Right. I don't think so. Yeah. At that point, Joe walks in. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, that's the rat on the floor. Yeah. And why yeah. Why do you say that? Because you don't want to be 100% sure of it. Right, right. And Mr. White said, that's not enough. It's, that's enough for me. And he yeah. pulls his gun to Shoot him. Mr. White pulls his gun on mm-hmm. on Joe. Eddie pulls his gun on White. Yeah. And now we come to the big Mexican stand up. The big faux pas the movie's yeah. about to happen. Right. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. What do you mean exactly? Okay, so Mexican stand up argument. Right. Don't do this. Don't do this. You don't know. Blah blah blah. You don't know. Suddenly everyone shoots. Yeah. All three fall down. Mm-hmm. What's the big faux pas? I can't remember. What? Joe shoots orange. Mm-hmm. White shoots Joe. Eddie shoots white. Okay. But Eddie falls down dead. Oh, okay. So he is at uh, Eddie's. I think white was supposed to turn around and shoot him, or someone, or Joe, or Orange was supposed to shoot him as well, the last mm-hmm. shot, or whatever, although Orange's gun was supposed to be answered. So it's probably supposed to be white turn around and shoot. Mm-hmm. But Chris Penn's squibs went off. So he just fell down dead. He thought it was supposed to be it. Oh, okay. So suddenly all you the know, people are down dead, and there's a mysterious shot that killed Eddie from nowhere. Although, technically, maybe you could say Pink did it. Yeah. Because Pink was still there. Pink yeah, was he was hiding. Pink was hiding under the ground. Yeah. Um, but it makes no sense for Pink to have shot him. No. He was hiding. He was he hiding. Was, he, 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 he needed them alive. And again, he did escape with the diamonds. Right. Presumably. We don't well, really know. If you turn um, the sound up enough. You, you find out what happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so that's the big faux pas near the end. But by yeah, the end, I can't came, believe I forgot that because yeah. I definitely knew that. And I only that. knew about it because um, I read the uh, I read up on it. It was a big faux pas. 
his, his squid went off and he fell down. So suddenly they had the scene where all three of them dead, but no one was pointing a gun at him. Mm-hmm. So how did he get shot? And killed? Okay. I, and I definitely knew that at one point. I can't believe it. About but there are a lot of things about the movie that are left unexplained and mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. You know, someone shot him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the three of them. It was someone else that shot him. Could have been orange. Got his gun reloaded. Could be that, uh, most likely it was pink. If you really have to say someone near Shaman, it had to be pink. Yeah. So. And the the uh, line that Chris Penn says, which I've heard many comedians imitate, Larry, stop pointing that gun at my dad. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you see Mr. Pink, uh, who's hiding. He grabs the diamonds, walks out. I mean, you got to turn the volume up. And you hear sirens. Yes. You hear gunfire. You hear, you hear talk. You hear, like, shouting. But you don't, you can't really hear what's going on. But you can hear because they're uh, zooming in on yeah. Mr. White, who's just been told by Orange, I'm the cop. Right. I'm a cop. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Yeah. And and White turns his gun onto Orange's face and head as if he's going right. to shoot him. Right. But they zoom in on White's face, and then you hear the cops saying, put it down, put it down. Yeah. But we don't know. Are they talking to White? Yeah. Or are they outside talking to White? Right, right. We don't know. Yeah. And then... Gunfire and white falls this way. What is the gunfire? What is the heavy? Is it, did he shoot orange? Yeah. Did he get shot? What happened? We don't know. We don't need to know. Right. Tarantino storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's not the point of what you're seeing. Yeah. Just as you didn't have to see crime being committed, the storytelling was about the characters and how they're reacting with each mm-hmm. other and the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And it ends, uh, and that's that's it. And well, then, so when you turn the volume up and listen to it, what do you? Well, you hear uh, a lot of shouting, and I, I think you actually hear get out of the fucking car. Um, but you hear shouting and gunshots, but in sirens, but nothing. I mean, definitive. You, you can. It's pretty obvious that they, or at least, maybe going to catch Mister Pink. Maybe they shoot him. Maybe they don't. You're not sure. Very interesting. Because it, but you're not sure. Because the focus is on white. Right, and if someone's yelling the same thing, put the gun down. And the, right. are they yelling at White? Or and the subtitles are on Mr. White and Mr. Orange. Like you don't know for sure. Like subtitles. Yeah. What subtitles? You put this. Put the sub. I'm not put the subtitles on, like you can on a movie. Oh. Not not that it's a foreign language. I'm just saying. Oh. Put the title subtitles on so you can hear what people are saying. Oh, gotcha. But it's all focused on Mr. White, Mr. Orange, not. The background. Oh, so when they first get there and White whispers in Orange's ear mm-hmm. early on and then combs his hair, if you put on the subtitles, what tell you what he was whispering? Uh, I don't know. If, I don't remember. Maybe. Because uh, I did read a little trivia on that, that you know there, you don't hear anything in the American version. Yeah. And But apparently in like, if you're watching it in French, whatever, there are, or Italian, there are words there. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, hey, can I get a blowjob? Or oh, okay. I'm going to comb your hair for you. you know? and of course, he whispers and then orange laughs and then he yeah. his hair. Okay. Uh, which is a really intimate mm-hmm. little scene there. Trying to teach you guys really like each other. But Larry obviously really likes him and feels obligated all that stuff. But you don't hear what he's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the credits come up and uh, the song Lime and the Coconut. Um, this is a nice little playful song. And they uh, seems fire. to have nothing to do with all this and just makes it. I'm not talking about that just much. Yeah. Can you imagine 1991, 1992. Yeah. Going to a theater, 
the local art type theater around here that you probably would have seen it, it would have been Tara, Tara. Mm -hmm. over there. Um, I've seen a number of odd little movies over there. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other, maybe the plaza I might have shown it. Yeah. But a bunch of ones. We could have been showing the big theaters. Yeah. Uh, at the time, had I seen it, I probably would have been Tara. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I saw Fargo with Tara. I saw Henry Portrait with Serial Killer at the Really? With the yeah. gang of buddies and Ma, I'll tell you. What a cool <laughs> movie. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, one of the few movies I was shocked to be sitting there. And I, I didn't get up and leave. I was just like, what the fuck am I watching this for? That's why we're all there. We all knew what type of movie it was probably going to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, but that was a place we were seeing a movie like that. Mm -hmm. And I saw a number of odd movies over there over the years. Um, wow! Imagine nineteen ninety-two, yeah. seeing all the stuff. I, I I can just because I sat through Henry. Then mm -hmm. I sat through a few other odd movies that I kind of knew what was going in, but when I actually saw it, like I had no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. And I saw Fargo there. Um, the Fargo later on, of course, was a big hit, but this was early when it probably wasn't in every theater. Uh, yeah. For me. Raising Arizona would have been the first. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard of Blood Simple. I think I really wanted to watch it. I mm -hmm. heard a lot of good things. But I don't think I saw that till after Raising Arizona. I can't quite remember the mm -hmm. order. But I definitely know I saw Raising Arizona first in the theater with Coen Brothers. And yeah. after that, it was definitely Coen Brothers. Mm -hmm. Another good story. Set of story books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hudsucker um, Proxy, Miller's Proxy. Yeah, Hudsucker Proxy is underrated. Oh, all people, the movies. People don't talk about Hood Circle Proxy. They talk about Miller's Crossing a lot. They don't talk about Hood Circle Proxy. Like, it's it's fucking good. It's really good. Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's time to talk about who's your guy in this movie. Wow, who's my guy? Mm. Wow. Look at all these. There's only eight people, really. Mm -hmm. Eight to choose from. Mr. Pink. Okay. Well, I like Mr. Pink. He, yeah. he has an opinion. He sticks mm -hmm. to it pretty much. Right. The only time he really capitulates is when he recognizes the authority of Joe. Yeah. Everyone else, he's somewhat respectful, but at the same time, also, I'm my own man. Mm -hmm. Don't push me too hard. Um, he recognizes the fact that there's no way Blondie's a cop after what he did in there. I know he's not the man. Yeah. Um, it could be anyone. And I'm pretty sure of you, Mr. White. And I'm pretty sure of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and he even mentioned that he's not too sure about Joe and Eddie because they weren't there. Yeah. They didn't see. They yeah. could have been corrupted. Which is, which yeah. Was fine. yeah. But he pretty much kept to his own character the whole way and might have survived. Yeah. Might have been the only character to survive. Mm -hmm. so. uh, Mr. Pink's mine, too. I mean, that's definitely, he's my guy. I mean, he talks about being a professional and, you know. Yeah. yeah, I believe that uh, the stories I was reading that Tarantino wants to be pink. Mm -hmm. And when he was talking to Steve Buscemi, he said, look, I really want to be pink, but if you nail the audition, it's yours. Mm -hmm. you yeah, well, that's um, smart. Cause... And also read that Tim Roth refused to re-audition for the part mm -hmm. of Mr. Orange, but when they were out drinking all together and getting drunk, mm -hmm. he played the part and they bought it. Okay. Yeah. That's how he got his part. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Pink, yeah, that's great. He's, I mean, Steve Buscemi, I love him. And, you know, he was greatness. And, you know, um, so it's time to talk about villains this. Now, I'm going to 
run down the villains list, uh, what we have so far. Um, and it's hard to believe that at the bottom is Johnny Favorite, Angel Heart, from very early on. Like the second the movie, second movie we uh, did. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, next is number nine is War from Three Kings. Uh, then Jack from The Shining. Nazi Germany from Great Escape. Rusty Nail from Joyride. Defense from Falling Down. Buddy from Baby Driver. Hans Gruber from Die Hard. The Xenomorph from Alien. And Nurse Ratchet from Cuckoo's Nest. So who's the villain in this movie? Okay. There's a lot of villains in this movie. <laughs> this is... Not, there are a lot of bad people. But I have to put White at the center as mm -hmm. the central hero of the movie. Yes. yes. And that puts Mr. Orange as the villain. Yeah. Even though they were close even though, to each other. Even though Mr. Blonde was the most evil and yes. villainous. Mm -hmm. The way the story was told, mm -hmm. the central characters are white and orange. And in this storytelling, white is the hero mm -hmm. and orange is the bad guy, despite the criminal and cop. Yeah. Uh, because it's really a white's journey through. Yeah. Um, they're in the first scene together. They're in the last scene together. Yeah. I agree. Mr. Orange is, um, and yeah. Mr. Orange is the villain. Mm -hmm. um, he is... I would I'll, I almost say ineffectual, but you know what? Everyone seems to be getting caught, yeah, killed. Mm -hmm. He definitely takes out Mr. Bond, yeah, who's probably the one person that he didn't take out. Everyone else would have been okay. He would have made sure that Joe and Eddie and everyone, he would just start killing everyone, yeah, until the three of them were, were, were safe. Mm -hmm. And he would have gotten them away from the cops, and he would have been the one. Mm -hmm. Um, so by killing Mr. Blonde, he almost assures that everyone else needs to bat him. Um, where I put him on the list? Um, he, uh, is it Johnny Favorite? Mm -hmm. War, Jack. I almost put him up him on the list. Um, it's possible. Because... He is, he's a villain, but he's also doing his job. And, but pretty much from the beginning of the movie, yeah. Um, when he is already shot to the end of the movie, except for shooting Mr. Blonde, he is immobile and ineffective. Mm -hmm. It is the backstory that shows who he is and what he is. But for the sake of the story that's being told, he's not active mm -hmm. except for killing Mr. Blonde. I wouldn't put him on this. Um, villain, yes, because of storytelling, but also he's, because of the complicated... He's moral, the villain, but he's not evil. He, yeah. Because of the complicated moral structure. Right. Uh, obviously, Mr. Bond was the most evil. Yeah. If he was the villain, he would be high on that list. But he, in his story, he's not the villain. Mr. Orange is the villain. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't put him on this. I agree. I agree with that. Um, so it's time to talk about uh, where is this on your list? This is top 20. Mm -hmm. um, probably somewhere 15, 16, somewhere in the end. I said, okay. well made story. The beginnings of the great Tarantino storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, 30 years worth of his own stories. He's got at least one more movie in it, so go. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, said, not a bad movie from him. 
the last movie as of uh, this podcast that he had out was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I think that's a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that when people go back and look at it, they'll rank it a lot higher than initially people thought of it. And that's because of the fairy tale aspect of mm-hmm. Hollywood. And just the same with I, all of his movies, as people go back and look at the way he told the story and the story that he told and the complexity of all of it, but the sharp, crisp look into the dialogue and simple means to tell that story that uh, all of his movies will slowly be elevated across mm-hmm. the board mm-hmm. in time. I put it in like 15 minutes. Maybe. Okay, so what's for me? <laughs> What is for you? Let me take a look here. So, have you seen this movie a lot? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've seen it a lot. Um, All right. So let me look back at uh, where did uh, the other movie pop up? Well, probably, I've seen it a lot. Yeah. Um, probably seen it. Uh, Probably seen it 15 times, I'd say. True Romance with Bunny from in 87. Similar movies, maybe like The Kings, Nasperty, Mystic River, Staying with similar tones to the story about. I'd like to think it's in your top 30 for sure. I don't know if it's in, you've got three, you said three Tarantino movies, or three more. Three more. Four four total. Yeah. Wow. Jackie Brown. I think we talked about this Jackie Brown. Four Fiction. I think Four Fiction's got probably the top ten. The Glorious Bastards. I don't know how you feel about that. It's going to be Jackie Brown, probably the bottom of the list for the four. Would you like a hint? No. Okay. I'm trying to work it out in my head from what I already know about you. Gotcha. Eleven. Number twelve. Oh, wow. Close. Wow, 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 wow. Very close. Number twelve. Wow, number twelve. Yeah. It's uh one above office space, which we just did. Um, yeah. Number twelve. This is a very, very uh, highly regarded movie by me, obviously. Uh, no. It makes me wonder about my thinking about the other four movies. Well, my hint was, to, I was actually trying to rank. My hint was going to be this is this this is my second ranked Tarantino movie. I was actually thinking third ranked. That would have okay. skewed me a little bit, but not okay. too much. Right. Um, so that actually makes me want to skew one of the other movies, mm-hmm. probably in Lord's Bastards. Okay. And we'll be back right after this. So walk in the men's room, and who's standing there? Four Los Angeles County Sheriffs and a German Shepherd. They're waiting for you? No, it's just a bunch of cops hanging out in the men's room talking. When I walked through the door, they all stopped what they were talking about, and they looked at me. <laughs> That's hard, man. That's a fucking hard situation. <laughs> German Shepherd starts barking. He's barking at me. I mean, it's obvious. He's barking at me. Every nerve in all my senses, blood in my veins, everything I have is screaming. Take off, man. Just bail. Just get the fuck out of there. Panic hits me like a bucket of water. First, there's a shock of it. Bam! Right in the face. I'm just standing there, drenched in panic, and I'll 
these sheriffs looking at me, and they know, man, they can smell it. Sure as that fucking dog can. They can smell it on me. Shut up. So, hey, so, so anyway, I got my gun drawn, right? And I got to point it right at this guy. And I tell him, freeze, don't fucking move. And this little idiot's looking right at me, nodding his head, yeah, and he's saying, I know, I know, I know. But meanwhile, his right hand is creeping towards the glove box. And I scream at him. I go, asshole, I'm going to fucking blow you away right now. Put your hands on the dash. And he's still looking at me, nodding his head, you know. I know, buddy, I know, I know. And meanwhile, you know, his hand is still going for the glove box. And I said, buddy, I'm going to shoot you in the face if you don't put your hands on the fucking dash. And then this guy's girlfriend, this real sexy oriental bitch, you know, she starts screaming at him, Chuck, Chuck, what are you doing? Listen to the officer and put your hands on the dash. So, you know, then like, like nothing. The guy snaps out of it and casually puts his hands on the dash. What was he going for? This fucking registration. No, man, stupid fucking citizen doesn't know how close he came to getting blown away. That close, man. And uh, it's time to talk about what didn't make the list. Um, and once upon some time in Hollywood is what didn't make the list. Um, you know, I've seen it. I saw it in theaters once, and I loved it. And I think in the future, 10 years from now, this probably makes my list. But no it's tough. Yeah. Tough ranking the top 100. I got to say, I think that this will be in time one of the top 10 American movies of all time. Really? Once one time. The reason I think is, the reason I say this is, I think that Tarantino has delivered a fairy tale. There have been what, Once Upon a Time in the West, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in America, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, a number of movies with the Once Upon a Time. Yeah. And traditionally in English literature, once upon a time, is the starting of a fairy tale. Yeah. But none of those movies I would call were actually fairy tales. But this no. movie, once there upon, they were just using this once, name. Right. Once upon a time in Hollywood, when you get to the end, right. program, you realize how much he used that fairy tale story to get to mm-hmm. that point. Yes. And he also used his own storytelling reputation to bring you along to that. Right. I was expecting Tarantino. Violence, the right. and I was getting a lot of it in certain scenes. It really brought up and then brought down. It kept mm-hmm. giving that this wave until it broke open. Mm-hmm. By the time it broke open, you were all cheering and getting yeah. to what was nearly the end. You realize the point is really get to right is the end. Yes, and there's no way to get to it without the title up front. Yeah, and everything else going on. All of it works so well together, and I think that in in years to come, this will be considered one of the top ten American movies. Really, yeah. that's a pretty high praise. So, I, 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 I so it's probably going to make your top one hundred. Yeah, it's in my top. Sure. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, that movie. It might make mine eventually, but I've only seen it once. So uh, I've only seen it once too. I've only thought yeah. about it, and I want mm-hmm. to think about this and then go see it. Yeah, uh, this is uh, one of the few movies I'll probably buy on DVD and Blu-ray, mm-hmm. so that I can jump into the. All the extras and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, get validation from my points. Yeah, from my viewpoints. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really think that it is. Tarantino talks about how he loves 
Hollywood, the TVs, the movies, mm-hmm. everything from when he was growing up. And this movie is all of that. Mm-hmm. And it is delivered wonderful. Sorry, I didn't make the time. Yeah, no. Um, but it's time to talk about plugs. plugs. What's your plugs? Hey, Tarantino is out there. Watch every movie he's ever made, mm-hmm. including the ones that he has written. Metro uh, One Killers, I think we've mentioned. Yeah, and True uh, Romance. True Romance, we've yeah. done here. Um, uh, from Dusseled Dawn. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I think the makeup effects guy on Reservoir Dogs had the script for From Dusseled Dawn. He agreed to work on the movie if Cantino worked on his movie. Oh, okay. Uh, of course, uh, by extension, almost every Robert Rodriguez movie out there is really good. Even Spike is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so look at the grouping of the people that yeah. work with Tarantino. He surrounds himself with the best. Follow the trail, follow the thing. Uh, Frederick Forrest, Robert Forrester, mm-hmm. Pam Greer, Bruce Willis, Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson. Yeah. The best people are out there. Yeah. And watch that episode of Golden Girls where Tarantino plays the Elvis impersonator. Get out of here. Really? You didn't know about that? I did not know about that. Yeah, he played it. There was an episode where they had like, I don't know, there's like 10 Elvis impersonators in the Golden Girls like living room for some reason, and he was just one of them. I want to make you wonder who the others were. Uh, was this like early I don't think they were all. The oh, this is like, this is way before Reservoir Dolls. Oh, because that'd be like, well, this, why would just yeah. stick famous people in the background? Well, Elvis. he was probably the only famous person there. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, they were just Elvis impersonators. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but my plug is a podcast that uh, we definitely both used to listen to. Eighties all over. Uh, is it that? No, uh, no. But I just wanted to talk about it because is that the first podcast you ever listened to? On a regular basis, where I listen to everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you turned me on to it, and I literally started from the first mm-hmm. one and went all the way through to they stopped. Yeah. Which was about a year ago. Um, I think so. Yeah. Less than a year ago, maybe. Yeah, but I mean the. 80s all over, they cover each episode is one month of the 80s, and they essentially cover every single so released American movie yeah. and a lot of foreign movies, too. They, and there's two uh, critics, and they know what they're talking about. Yes. And they cover, I mean, they spend a couple minutes on every single movie, essentially. Um, even if it's just in passing, they would mention certain movies. Yeah. Um, and they watched all these movies. Yeah, like, they would have watched them all. <laughs> Uh, which was a heavy load. Yeah. And when they would miss stuff, they would go back and later talk, hey, we missed something. Yeah. These movies came out this time. Or yeah. we were wrong on the dates that the movies came out because we were somehow mis- mistaken with right, European right, right. dates and the American dates right. and stuff Independent like that. release. And yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, we watch a couple of movies a week and talk about yeah. a couple of movies. Um, they were watching like 20 a month dozens, or something, probably. Dozens yeah. yeah. Of movies at a time for each. Episode, yeah. and they were, uh, I think, overwhelmed. Yeah, they they stopped, and uh, I think it was like May of '85, right before like yeah. the Future came out. Like they, they uh, had to give it up. I think it was too, too much. much of the time. Yeah, the podcast didn't generally make a lot of money. Yeah, uh, you can't spend an enormous amount of time on doing it. Yeah, but man, if you love movies, you should listen to that. That's one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast with your movies that you love. Yeah. I don't have to spend a lot of time right. worrying right. about what what things are on my list or how I look at them. I just have to react to your, your movies. Yes. Uh, I've liked most of them. There are a few I do that I like. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned that too, and that's mm-hmm. part of the fun. Yeah. Um, but, wow, I'll tell you, if I had to watch 
a, a movie load like that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, there are no. there are shows out there I want to watch now. I don't get a chance to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and sometimes for this podcast, I watch it uh, at three or four in the morning before we take this. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I procrastinated so long. Yeah. It is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, next week on the podcast, if you believe a man can fly, listen to our next episode. We're going to talk about Superman the movie, the original, Christopher Reeve, 1978, right? Falcons, um, yes. Top build uh, Marlon Brando movie. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, next week, uh, a definitely a classic, Superman the movie. Next week on 100 Movies I Love. 100 Movies You Love. <laughs> Ever listen to Kay Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? It's my personal favorite. Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty were a duo known as Steeler's Wheel when they recorded this Dylan-esque pop bubblegum favorite from April of 1974. That reached up to number five as K. Billy Super Sounds of the 70s continued. Well, I'll be right back.